to Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 8 through 16 today. <clears throat> Say amen when you're there. All right, let's go. All right, it says this. Then came Amalek <clears throat> and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. <clears throat> so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses. Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. He said, For I were... I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I want to talk this morning, hopefully preach this morning, about your arch rival your arch rival. Amen. If you could put your Bibles down and just go with me to the Lord in prayer one more time for the pray for the remainder of this service that God would use me. Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you, God, for today, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people, God. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, God, that you reach down and touch my lips, God. Lord, let me be your mouthpiece, God. Let me speak with anointing and, and boldness, God. Lord, let me bring conviction to the heart today, God. Let your word bring conviction, God, I pray. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, and build up and edify your church, God. Hallelujah, Lord, do a work among us, we pray it, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever had a rival? Very participatory today. You ever had a rival? Yeah? Okay. Good. Well, maybe. I don't know. Every, every one of you have a rival. But I remember my rival in elementary school. <clears throat> His name was Eric Young. Um, <laughs> we're online right now. I mean, I don't know if he's watching. It'd be kind of weird. But Eric Young was my rival in elementary school. You see, me and Eric were the two fastest in school. And uh, every morning, or every morning, every, every recess, we would head out onto the playground. And we'd go to that concrete on the basketball court. And there, there was a line, right? The baseline. And we would line up. And we would run. 
We say, on your mark, get set, go. And we would run and we would race day after day. <clears throat> but Eric Young, sometimes Eric would beat me, sometimes I would beat Eric. He's my rival, right? My chief competitor. But one day, Eric, for whatever reason, went to a different school. It's probably third or second grade. He went to a different school. I was in Birchwood Elementary. He went to Edison. And so now I was the fastest. I was the fastest in school. And I would race and I would hold my head high and I would win and win and win and win. And you know, you had that mile. You remember the mile run you had to do in elementary school? Have that mile run and I would have the best time every time. Right? Then about fifth, and six, fifth or sixth grade came around, and that Eric Young showed up again. No longer going to Edison, he came back to my elementary school. And I remember the first day I saw him, I looked at Eric, and I said, Eric, are you still fast? And Eric said, I'm faster than ever before. And I said, oh, man. And so that's what we would do. We'd go back to that recess, right? Back to recess. We would line up on the concrete. And sometimes I would win. <clears throat> sometimes Eric would win. He was my rival, my chief competitor. A rival is a person or thing that is in a position to dispute another, another's preeminence or superiority. An arch rival is a principal rival, that number one competitor. Maybe you had one in school. Maybe you were on the wrestling team. Maybe you were in the, on the football squad and you're lined up against each other. Your rival, right? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Vikings versus the Packers, right? I'm talking about Cowboys versus Indians. Cops versus robbers, the North versus the South, the Yankees versus the Rebels, right? Celtics versus the Lakers, Ali versus Frazier, Letterman versus Leno, Trump hey, versus Biden, In Sync versus the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Wiley Coyote, right? Versus the Roadrunner. Pepsi versus Coke. Mac versus Windows. Star Trek versus Star Wars. Tesla versus Edison. Hamilton versus Burr. Your rival. Your chief competitor, right? Your arch nemesis. The one that wants to take you out. And you want to take them out, right? I'm talking about Israel versus Amalek. Israel versus Amalek. You see, Israel was now in the wilderness on the road to the promised land. A land that would be flowing with milk and honey. Behind them was years of Egyptian slavery as God had freed them by the blood of the Passover land and decimated their arm, the armies of Egypt in the Red Sea. 
Above them was God's glory cloud that was leading them through this journey. And God was giving them bread or manna. And God was supplying them with water. But then out of nowhere, it seemed like out of nowhere, Exodus 17.8 says, Then came Amalek. Out of nowhere, then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And Rephidim, out of nowhere, the people of Amalek came to pillage the traveling camp of the Israelites. They thought they were on their way to the promised land. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they got hit sideways. They got smacked over the head. Why? Because Amalek came to rob, to pillage, and to take their victories that they had in Egypt. They took, came to take away the treasures that they gained from Egypt. You see, then came Amalek. Then came Amalek. It was Exodus chapter 15 that God had freed Israel and destroyed the Egyptians. But as soon as chapter 17, it seems as Israel is walking away from their victory, the great grand victory of the Red Sea, their Egyptians' oppressors are now washed away. But in chapter 17, then comes Amalek. It was, it, it was as if they were going from Egypt, an enemy in Egypt, to now an, a new enemy in Amalek. But this was just not any enemy. You see, this would be Israel's chief rival for years to come. It would be their arch rival, their arch nemesis. You see, this would be the first fight of many battles between Israel and the Amalekites. They were the first to attack them out of Egypt on the journey to the promised land. And they were the first to attack God's people when God refused them entrance in the promised land. In Judges 3, they attack them. In Judges 7, they attack them. They are joined with the Midianites against Gideon. Saul fought against them. King David fought against them. And it is believed that Haman in the book of Esther, the one that plotted to kill all the Jews, was an offspring of Amalek. See, Amalek became Israel's perpetual enemy. It's as if they left their taskmaster in Egypt and just gained a new arch enemy. Notice what God says after the first battle in verse 16 of Exodus 17. It says, for, for he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What does that mean? That means your kids, Israel, will be fighting Amalek. Not only that, your kids' kids will be fighting this enemy named Amalek. From generation to generation, Israel, you have an enemy. Then came Amalek. I want you to follow me for a second. You see, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, Israel and Egypt, or Israel is known as a typology of the church in the New Testament. Right? Egypt is typology of sin. Right? So just like Israel was set free by the blood of, of, of the Passover lamb, you were set free from sin by the blood of Jesus. You get it? 
And just like Israel's enemies were decimated in the Red Sea, your enemies, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, they are decimated. They are washed away in the waters of baptism. You see? And just like Israel was traveling through the wilderness and that cloud was overhead and and guiding them on their journey to the promised land, God gave you a comforter. God gave you a teacher, a helper called the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost is supposed to lead and guide you through this world. Right? It's supposed to guide you to the promised land or heaven. But let me tell you something. Just like Israel, you probably didn't think it would be so soon. You thought you were just free from sin. Free from the the chains of sin and you're headed on the, the promised land. And then comes Amalek. Then comes Amalek. You see, you too have an arch enemy that wants to rob you of the victory that you gained from Egypt. An enemy that wants to take away your spiritual blessings. You have an arch enemy called your flesh. Then came Amalek. Then came your flesh. Right? Israel's walking away from Egypt, then wham! You're walking away from the sins of your past, and wham! Then comes your flesh. So who was this perpetual enemy of God's people? You see, Amalek was the son of Ilphaz by his concubine Timnah. More importantly, Amalek was the grandchild of one named Esau, an Edomite. Esau was the elder twin brother of Jacob. And of course, so Amalek's, Amalek, Amalek's grandpa was Esau, meaning Israel's grandpa was Jacob. So what do we know about these twin brothers? Genesis 25:22 says this. Says about in Rebecca's womb, their great grandmother. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? Why is this happening? Right? She's pregnant with twins. What's going on in my stomach? Feel, it feels like there's a war inside of me. Said the children struggled together within her. And she said, Why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. See, Jacob and Esau have been struggling and fighting against each other since they were conceived. Two manner of people. Arch rivals. Contrary to each other. Nemesis. See, Esau was the firstborn, that fleshly man. Esau was apathetic about the things of God. Just read about it. He's apathetic about the things of God. It was Esau that sold his birthright, the spiritual blessings of God, for a bowl of soup. He sold the things of God for a moment of fleshly fill, for a moment of fleshly appetite. He did not regard the eternal, but was fixated on the temporal. 
Hebrews 12, 16 says this about Esau. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For one morsel of meat, for one, for just to... Just to have a fill of his flesh, he took the things of God and sold it for a bowl of soup. That's what kind of man Esau was. He took the things of God and was profane, didn't care about the things of God. He sold the things of God to fill his flesh. See, I believe Esau represents the man that is led by his sensual desires. One that takes his fill of fleshly pleasures, passions, and appetite and does not regard, does not respect the things of God. I believe Esau and his grandson, Amalek, represent your flesh. But Jacob was that secondborn, right? Two manner of people are in that womb. There's Esau, right? The firstborn, man of flesh. But Jacob was that second born, called to be the spiritual seed. He desired the things of God, and because of it was blessed of God. Jacob, the Bible says, wrestled with a man till the break of day and said, I will not go until you bless me. You see, Jacob, unlike the firstborn Esau, Jacob valued the eternal things of God. That's why God said in Romans 9.13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I hated that profane man. I hated that natural man. I hated that man of flesh. Why? Because he did not regard the things of God. But Jacob, Jacob that one that, that loves the things of God, that loves my word, that's the one I love. What is God saying? It is that second birth that God loves. It is that second born that God blesses. Notice something with me in the Bible. It was not Cain. It was not Cain. Right? It was Abel. Abel was blessed of God. Not Cain. It was Isaac. Not Ishmael. It was Jacob, not Esau, that was blessed by God. All these second-born children had the blessing and favor of God in their life. Why is that? I believe God was trying to show us something. It is your second birth that matters the most to God. You see, Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of spirit. Let me tell you something, church. It is that second birth that matters to God. It's when you're spiritually reborn of the waters of baptism and the Holy Ghost Spirit inside of you. That's the one God loves. That's the one. You see, there's two manner of persons. There's two manner of people in you. Right? There's the flesh. And then there's that spiritual man. See, the spiritual man receives the things of God. He receives the blessings of God. He values the eternal. He prioritizes God's kingdom. His eyes and ears are open to the call of God and the beckoning of prayer. That's why... When you're born in the Spirit, that's why when you first receive the Holy Ghost, 
At least it happened with me. Because when you first receive the Holy Ghost, there's such hunger. There's such hunger there. There's such desire for the things of God. Why? Because you've been spiritually reborn. You've been spiritually awakened. And now you have an appetite for the things of God. You have an appetite for the Word of God. Why? Because it's that second birth that matters. It's that second birth that receives the blessings of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Why? Because the things of God are spiritually discerned. We get them through the Spirit. Let me tell somebody today that if you have not been born of the water and of the Spirit, can I tell you that promise is for you here today, that God wants to fill you with His Spirit, that God wants to give you victory over your sensual passions and desires, that God wants to, God wants to fill you with the victory of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You see, when you're born again, you now have this struggle going on inside of you. You have this fight, just like Israel. You have a perpetual enemy. Maybe you never had to fight him before. But now it feels when you're born again, you have this fight. You have this fight that is going on. See, the Bible says you were by nature before you were born again. You were by nature the children of wrath. But now that you're born again, you realize something. There's a fight going on inside of me. See, I realized very soon, I remember when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost when I was baptized in Jesus' name. I remember just on cloud nine, walking on cloud nine, right? Everybody remember? When you were born again? But here's the thing. A little time afterwards, a little time afterwards, all of a sudden, I didn't know what happened. I fell. I fell into sin. Why? Because I didn't realize something. Yes, God brought me from Egypt. God brought me from sin. But I had a new enemy now. I had my flesh. I had Amalek to deal with now. You see... There's two war. There's a war going on inside of you. There's a battle being raged inside of you. You've got to recognize it. See, there is a battle that is being fought in you. That battle is against your flesh and your spirit. The old nature versus the new nature. The old way of living versus God's way of living. The old man versus the new man. The flesh. Verse the Spirit. That's why Romans 8, 5 says this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. Is enmity against God. Enmity means hostile. Or at war with God and the things of God. It is not subject to God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. You see, your carnal mind 
is warring after your spiritual mind. You see, you have an enemy. Then came your flesh. Then came your flesh. Galatians 5.17 says it like this. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. They're contrary. There's, there's a battle going on. There's a fight. You see, your flesh on this earth is your perpetual enemy. And it does not regard the things of God. See, if you gave into the desires of your flesh, your flesh would, just like Esau did, your flesh would sell your salvation for a one-night stand. Let me, let me tell you if, you, if you gave your flesh rule, if you gave your, fr- your flesh reign, is your flesh would sell the grace of God for a puff of joint. Your flesh would sell God's mercy for a late night porno binge. Your flesh would sell the blessings of God for fleshly desires. Why? Because the natural man doesn't regard the things of God. They are contrary to him. They are contrary to him. Galatians 5.19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit The kingdom of God. You see that list? That's the works of the flesh. But the next verse says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You see, there's a battle of two natures going on. A battle of two natures. A flesh that wants to drag you down to the person that you used to be. And a spirit that wants to raise you up in victory and newness of life. The Bible says that you are a new creature. (laughs) Hallelujah. Here's the thing. Now that you're spiritually born, it is God's will. Just like Jacob and Esau, it is God's will that the elder... Serve the younger. What am I saying? It's God's will that your flesh should be in subjection to your spirit. Not your spirit in subjection to your flesh. That's why he says in that next verse in Galatians 5.24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They've crucified it. They've killed it. They've killed the flesh. You've got an enemy. You've got an enemy known as your flesh. Your flesh does not want the things of God. Exodus 17, 8 says this, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Then came Amalek. Right? They're headed away from Egypt. And out of nowhere, they get smacked. By a new enemy. What's interesting about this is God tells us 
What's interesting about this is, is God tells us that when, when they first initially left, left Egypt, that God said, well, I don't want them to go up the Mediterranean coast. I don't want them to go that way. Why? Because that way is filled with the armies of the Philistines. And I don't want them to fight the armies of the Philistines. He says, but I, 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 want, I want them to go this way. He said, lest they, they, they meet the, the Philistine army and, and, and repent and turn back to Egypt. But yet, God still has them face Amalek. Why is that? That tells me this, is that some battles, yes, are, are too strong when you're initially coming out of this world of sin. And God's not going to allow you to face those battles yet. But there is a battle that we all must have. There is a fight that we all must fight. There is a fight against our flesh that we all must wage war on. We all must take up this good fight. We all must fight the flesh. So what does this chapter tell us about this fight? Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Verse 9 says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You see, what, what, is this, what does this battle tell us about our war against our flesh? It tells us this. Number one, he took the rod of God in his hand. Right? Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Well, what does that mean? What does that tell me? It tells me this. The same thing that got me out of Egypt is going to win this battle again. You see, God sent Israel their deliverer, Moses, who was equipped with the rod of God. What Moses would do with this rod is he, he would take this rod and he would smack, God would tell him to smack the waters. And the waters were turned to blood. And he says, stretch it over against the stream. And, and all of a sudden, the stream's filled with frogs. He said, hit the dust, and it became like lice. And as the armies of the Egyptians descended on, the Is on Israel, Moses took that rod and held it over a Red Sea. And the Bible says they escaped on dry ground. You see, this rod was not magical, but the rod represented God's help. As long as he was able to lift up that rod, they prevailed against their enemy. So what am I telling you, church? As long as we understand that it is, it is through God, it is through God that we get our victory. It is through God that we receive our help. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you this, is that you can't do it on your own. 
Kind of tell somebody today that you have a flesh that is battling after the things of the Spirit. And the only way that you're going to conquer that flesh, the only way that you're going to get over that flesh, is when you get a hold of the rod of God and say, the Lord is my help. The same thing that got you out of Egypt is the same thing that's going to take down that flesh. Church, you have an enemy. You have an enemy known your flesh. The only way we're going to get our victory is when we take the rod of God, when we understand that it is through God that I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that no, I can't do it on my own power. I can't do it on my own strength, but I've got to have a God to reach down and help me and lift me up out of this situation. I'm trying to give somebody hope here today. Why? Because you may have fallen to Amalek. You may have fallen to your flesh. What am I trying to tell you to do? I'm trying to tell you to go back to the rod of God. Go back to where you found your, go back to where you found your help the first time. The strength of God. The help of God. That's what's going to get you out of the mess. I know I've been there. I've been there where I've been seduced by my own appetites, my own fleshly desires. I've been there. I have the same battle that you have. I have a, I have a flesh too. But can I tell you, the only way you're going to get over it is when you get a hold of God's hand. When you say, God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. I need you to lift me up past my own flesh. I don't have the strength within me. Would you help? I've come to tell somebody today, your flesh does not need to rule and reign over you. It does not need to rule and reign over you. You do not have to be a slave to Egypt and then be a slave to your flesh. No, that's why God died and rose again so that you could have victory over your flesh, so you could have power over the flesh. That's why Paul said there is no condemnation to those that are in Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So what do we learn? We learn that we need to take that rod. We need to take God's help. We need to get a hold of God. That's what we need. We need to get a hold of God. But number two, he took that rod. Moses took that rod. And what did he do with it? The Bible says that he lifted up his hands. He lifted up his hands. What does that tell me, church? It tells me this, that your victory looks like this. Your victory looks like this. you got to understand something. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't fight the flesh by taking a swing at ourselves. Right? We don't fight the flesh by taking our fists and jabbing it into our stomach. We don't fight the flesh by throwing ourselves down. No, we fight the flesh through prayer. We fight the flesh through worship. We fight the flesh through the Spirit. Oh, 
I'm trying to help somebody today. I'm trying to help somebody today. You've got Amalek coming after you again, but fight him after. Get in the spirit. Get a hold of God. Get a hold of a prayer life. That's why Galatians 5.16 says this. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Get that up there. Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I tell you, the only way over the flesh is you've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. You've got to learn to pray. You've got to learn to worship. You've got to learn to get in connection with the Spirit of God. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth much. What does that mean? That means it's effective. You've got to get a prayer life. Get a prayer life. Become a prayer warrior. You got that flesh rising up in you? Hit your knees. Get before God. You got those attitudes rising up? You got that old man again coming back up? That old lifestyle that God freed you from? You know what you need to do? Hit your knees. Get on, get, get in prayer, get in connection with God, because it is through God that you're going to get your victory. Hallelujah. <clears throat> that's, why, that's why Paul tells Timothy, he says this, for bodily exercise profiteth little. He says, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What does he say? Bodily exercise profiteth little. Thank God for the YMCA. Thank God for anytime fitness, right? Thank God we have these places we can go and we can, we can get strong. We can pump some, some weights and we can look good. Sweet. But what does the word of God say? Yes, it profiteth, but it profiteth little when it comes to that spiritual man. You see, what, what really matters is godliness, is, is spiritual disciplines, is is, is every morning and every night hitting, hitting your knees, hitting your prayer closet. It, it doesn't matter if you're, how, much, how much weight you can curl. No, what matters is how many pages of the Bible you can turn. Come on. I know some of you are laughing out there right now. That's fine, but it's the truth. Godliness profiteth all things. Godliness, spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. I'm trying to give somebody some help today. If you, if you're, if you be, I've been there. As I said, I've been there. I've been a new believer. And I've been on that roller coaster, it seems. On that roller coaster of, yes, I'm living for God. Next thing you know, I'm back into the same sin. And, oh, I'm, I'm up here again and I'm living for God. And then, boom. I fall again. You know what that is? That's that battle. That's Amalek. That's that flesh you're fighting. Get some spiritual discipline in your life. Right? Discipline yourself. Discipline that flesh. Tell that flesh to shut up. Right? How you tell them to shut up? You tell them to shut up through prayer, through the word of God, through fasting. I know we don't like to say it. Right? We should fast, though, especially if you're dealing with something in your flesh, especially if you're having a problem with a certain sin, a habit, or whatever. Go on a fast. Discipline that flesh. Hallelujah. 
Okay, so we learn this. We learn Moses, right? He takes the rod. He lifts it up, right? We need God's help. And it's through spiritual means that we fight, right? It's through spiritual means that we fight. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But you need to understand this as well. As you had Moses on the hill lifting up his hands in this rod. But also you have Joshua in the battle swinging a sword. Literally killing the enemy. So what am I saying? I'm saying there's a dual effort going on here. That gave Israel the victory. You had Moses on the hill lifting up his hands. Lifting up and gaining the help from God. But then you had Joshua fighting the battle with the sword. What do you have? You have spiritual and then you have application. What am I saying? I'm saying your prayer life should produce results in your natural life. That's good. That's good preaching. Amen. Here's the thing. You can spend hours in prayer. You can spend hours speaking in tongues. You can spend hours reading your Bible. You can spend days fasting. But if it never results in a behavior change, if it never results in, in, in that old man being, being crucified, right, then you're doing it wrong. That's why Colossians 3.8 says this, but now ye also put off these. What does he say? Who put off these? He said, you, you put off these. He said, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Who has put off the old man? You have put off the old man and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Ephesians 4.22 says this, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. What is he talking about? You put off your old lifestyle. You take it and you throw it in the trash. Right? Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You got to understand something, church. There is a dual effort that is going to give you the victory. Yes, God will help you and empower your life. But, but you've got to make the decision to take that old lifestyle and put it off. Right? Yes, Moses is on the hill. And he has his arms outstretched. And he's gaining the help from God. But it was also a Joshua down in the heat of battle, swinging the sword. So what am I saying? I'm saying, yes, pray. Yes, get your help from God. But don't let it stop there. You got to understand what's going on. See, there is a dual effort that's going to give you the victory. You need to understand something. There is a partnership or cooperation between you and God. That the spirit is in you and, and its desire, the spirit that is in you desires you to be more like Christ. That's why Paul said, my little children, I travail again until Christ be formed in you. You, you see, the spirit in you desires to develop the fruit of the spirit. But your will has got to cooperate with that spirit. Your will has to put off the flesh. Your will has to say to their lust, I don't want it no more. Your will has to take the bottle of booze and start dumping it down the drain. Your will has to take the joint and throw it in the trash. You see what I'm saying? Is God is here to help you. His grace is here to help you. It's sufficient. But can I tell you something? You've got to marry His grace with your faith. You've got to marry His grace with your obedience. 
you got to cooperate with God. you got to cooperate with God. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. The Apostle Paul said that. I die daily. I kill my flesh. What is he saying? He's saying, I take those fleshly mindsets and attitudes, and I take those those worldly appetites and and desires, and I kill them. I kill them. I destroy them. I get rid of them. Right? I get rid of them. Here's the thing is you need to kill your flesh or I guarantee it will kill you. I don't care how stubborn you are. I don't care how much willpower you are. If you do not kill that flesh, it will eventually kill you. See, the beginning, the beginning of King Saul's disobedience and fall started with a battle, the Amalekites. Saul was battling the children of Amalek. God told him, God told Saul, that anointed king, he said, go utterly destroy this enemy. He said, Saul, go totally wipe them out. Get rid of Amalek. Wipe them out. Take everything. Wipe it out. Their cattle, their horses, everything. Wipe it out. But Saul refused. Saul refused to wipe it out. And it wasn't long after that that Saul laid wound, wounded on a battlefield. And a descendant of Amalek dealt the final blow and killed Israel's first king. What does that tell me? It tells me this. Your flesh doesn't care if you're anointed. Your flesh doesn't care if you're called by God. Your flesh doesn't care about the blessing of God on your life, those habits and desires of your flesh, if you refuse to let them go, those unbridled passions, if not taken care of, will kill you as it killed King Saul. You've got to kill the flesh. You've got to kill those desires. Every morning, you've got to lift your head to God and say, God, help me. God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. I need your power in my life. I don't want, I don't want the things of this flesh. I don't want the desires of the flesh. God, if there be any evil thing within me, if there be any appetite for things that are against your word, that are contrary to who you are, God, get rid of it in my life. Get rid of it in my life. The flesh has to go. See, unfortunately, I know, I know what, it, what it leads to, not killing the flesh. I have a family member that believes in the doctrine, once saved, always saved. What does that mean? That means once I profess Jesus as my Savior, I can live however I want, and God doesn't care. And I tell you, that's a damnable doctrine. It's a damnable doctrine. It's from the pits of hell. It's from the pits of hell. You know, I've seen the results of what, it, of what it means to believe in that doctrine. And I've seen him year after year after year. He had the first 
Here's the thing is there's, there is an experience with God that you do have when you first reach out to him. There's no doubt about it. I believe my dad, I just told you who it was. I believe my dad had, had an experience with God. I was trying not to put that online. Uh, I believe my dad had an experience with God. 100%. I believe he reached out to God and God touched his life. 100%. And he thought he was saved. But then he thought he could live any way that he wanted to. And I saw the results of that doctrine. And I saw him year after year after year. I saw that light fade and fade and fade and fade. Why? What was, what was going on? It was his flesh killing him. His flesh killing and snuffing out any truth that he had. Because if you don't kill all of it. If you don't kill all those desires. Don't kill all those things. Is he'll come back to bite. And I've watched in his life it come back to bite him over and over and over again. And I'm closing. Exodus 17, 13 says this, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. He said, Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will, utterly I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What did he say? He said, remind Joshua about this. Matter of fact, go beyond that. Write it in a book for a memorial. Remember your e enemy Amalek. Remember your enemy Amalek. You see, you, needed, you need to be reminded. You need to remember Israel about your enemy. Matter of fact, God went further. When Israel eventually received the law of God on Mount Sinai, they received 613 commandments from God. Two of those commandments had to do with Amalek. Deuteronomy 25, 17 says this. Remember, that Amalek, remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way. When, when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, and in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Thou shalt not forget it. So what does that mean? That means every seven years when they read the word, when they read the law, Israel heard the commands. Don't forget Amalek. Don't forget Amalek. Don't forget your enemy. Don't forget. I believe that's why Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. It says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Remember your enemy. Why did God want them to remember their enemy? Why did God want to remember? Remember those times that you fell. Remember those times that your desires and, your, and the appetites of your flesh got the best of you.
No, we don't preach like this normally. Remember the times you fell. Remember the times that you gave in to the seducing of your flesh. Remember your enemy. Remember your enemy. Because here's the thing. I believe God was trying to remind them of that. Because this enemy... There was no forgiveness. There was no reconciliation with this arch enemy. And I tell you, church, the same is with us in our flesh. There's no reconciliation. There's no forgiveness. Generation after generation after generation, we have fought this flesh. We have fought this flesh. We have fought it. I just tell somebody, I, I've been there. I've been there. I messed up. I've fallen. The flesh got the best of me. But can I tell somebody today that there's victory over it? There's victory over your flesh. There's victory over your appetites. There's victory over those desires. There's reconciliation that can happen to God. Because here's the thing. Yes, remember your enemy. Remember that you have an enemy, that every day that you live, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight this flesh. You're going to have to, you're gonna have to die daily, as Paul said. Remember. I believe that's why Paul says, but, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself become a castaway. Paul said that. He said, I had to take this body and I have to place it under subjection. Because I know if I don't, I myself may become a castaway. That's the apostle Paul who said that. Be reminded of your enemy. But also, also remember. Remember in that, that first battle. Don't only, it wasn't just remember your enemy. But Moses built another memorial that day. He built an altar. And Moses, Moses called it Jehovah Nisi which means the Lord is my banner. What does that mean? That means the Lord is my victory. What was he telling Israel? Israel, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight every day that you're on this earth. You're going to have to fight back the flesh. But you need to be reminded of something as well. Is there's a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. There is a God that says, I will give you victory over all your enemies. If you would just trust in me. If you just put your hand in my hand. I'll give you the victory that you need. Jehovah Nisi. Matter of fact, God, interesting fact, God takes Jacob, remember Jacob, 
God takes Jacob and changes his name to Israel. What does Israel mean? Israel means God prevails. God prevails. How did Jacob prevail and rule, rule over that fleshly brother? How did Jacob rule over Esau? God changed his name. He got it through God. God prevails. How are you going to get your victory over your flesh? Through God, church. Through God. Amen. I wonder if we could all stand. I wonder if we could just do something. I, would, I wonder if we can all just lift up our hands. Here's the thing is I know that in here, I, we all have this same battle. We all have this same battle. Don't forget it. And I know with, with, with a crowd this size is there's people that are fighting this battle. And they're having a hard time with it. And we're just going to pray today that God would give you the strength to overcome. That God would give you the faith to overcome. That God would give you the grace that you need every day to rise above your flesh. Why don't we do that this morning, church? Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for salvation, God. But Lord, I've realized something else, God, is I have another enemy, God. I have an enemy called my flesh, God. And my flesh wars after my spirit. And there's a battle between the two, God. Lord, and I just pray right now. I pray, God, for your strength. I pray for your grace, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I pray for your help today, God, to allow me to rise above my flesh. To, to allow me to rise above these fleshly desires and passions, God, that fight against me every day, God. Give me your grace. Give me your spirit, God. Empower my life, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. I give you the glory. I give you the praise. I give you the honor. That's all right, church. Why don't we praise Him? Why don't we start to turn that into worship?